This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sequest DSV, Season 1, Episode 20, and Season 2, Episode 6. It's just our nature not to want to be alone in the universe. Do you think oceanography will be important after today? Or geology? Funny how everything can change in an instant, isn't it? You know who's not phased one iota by any of this? Lucas. His generation grew up expecting this. Not a revelation, it's a confirmation. Maybe we can learn from that. Roll with it, dude. Yeah. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast in desperate need of younger, sexier hosts. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Well, you may not feel that way after hearing my new catchphrase, which I've taken from the second episode of uh, Sequest that uh, that we watched here, and it's this. We're grand zero, honey. What do you think? Oh, that's reinvigorated the podcast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are going to start saying it. It's This is our um, Yosh or... Um, what was another thing? What did, what did they say in Space Rangers? They're like, Space Rangers ho! Something yeah, I think like that, Space you know? Rangers ho is that what they said. I believe that was Danger Force, Danger Team, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They did. They say Danger danger Team yo or something like that. Anyways, ours is, we're at ground zero, honey. <laughs> well, John, before we get into this week's episodes, um, I have a, a little segment for us. One we haven't had to, been able to do in a long, long time. What's that? Uh, we're going to look at a little bit of the Sequest merchandise that came out around uh, oh, around the show, wow. because uh, a lot came out for this show. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I hadn't actually thought of that, but I can imagine knowing how big this show, like at least how big the push for the show was, I'm sure there was a bunch of stuff that came out. Yeah, and it's been hard to find for other shows we've watched, because it's just... Usually you have to go for a period of time before they'll start like making merch for you. And we usually watch things that end after a season. A rare occasion, like a Planet of the Apes will have some merch come out. But this mm-hmm. one for sure was just like they were ready to go. So I, I, I put some stuff together here. Um, I got a lot of this information from a place called SequestVault.com. They've got some uh, a great repository on like the details around Sequest. So it was quite helpful. But as you said, NBC and Universal, they were really bullish over Sequest as it was coming out. They're just like, this is it. We've got a hit on our hands. Yeah. Yeah. We're manufacturing a hit. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, I think all hits are kind of manufactured in some way. But I think they thought this is is an unstoppable train, you know? Mm -hmm. And they uh, immediately licensed the toys to Playmates. And uh, they're the company that does the... uh, uh, They were, I think... What did I read? They uh, they got originally successful for making the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys and then had a great deal of success making the Star Trek toys after that. So uh, they're currently coming at it from the mold of the Star Trek toy. And did you have Star Trek and or Ninja Turtle toys? I definitely had both of them. Uh, I remember having Ninja Turtles certainly as a small child because that was obviously when we were children the most popular television yeah. program. And then later in life, I think I got a couple. I'm not many. I had a couple Star Trek toys. I do remember, though, at some point I got the Transporter playset, which ruled. Luke, I was waiting because I also had the Transporter uh, playset, and I agree with you. It, it did rule. It was awesome, and it worked really well. For what it was, it worked really, really well. Yeah, that kind of, it, what was it? It was, like a, it was like a double mirror or like a Pepper's Ghost thing. So as you transported yeah. them, the mirror would fade away and the, and the action figure would fade off of the, uh, off the transporter playset. So it looked just like they were transporting away. I love it. If we had knew each other when we were eight years old, we could be playing with our transporters. I'm trying to remember which Star Trek toys I had. I only had like 
five or six, I think, of the action figures. And, like, a couple of them were just, like, weird aliens that I didn't really know who they were. <laughs> I know I had Jordy because he was my favorite. Now, of course, Jordy had a detachable visor. Yeah. Yeah, I had the a detachable visor, and that was a rare one. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Sequest toys. <laughs> but, I mean, it goes to show you that they, they had a good company making the toys. Like, this is a yeah. company that made great toys. Even reading about it, like, the Playmates company really knew what they were doing. I think um, the the toys they made for Sequest were their highest uh, quality models they'd ever done before um, mm. because they had realized making the Star Trek toys that uh, sort of fidelity and like characters were a big part of what sold those. They could see that the fans really wanted you to make good looking toys that looked like the actors that had like real like authenticity to the show so even i was looking at these figures and they were like very carefully crafted like some of the best looking action figures i've ever seen to to the actors faces kind of stuff hmm. i know you growing up i'm sure you saw many to- uh, toys based on movies where the little toy looked nothing like the melted the melted wax version of the actor in the movie yeah that was always funny when it's like either either it just was a bad model or they clearly went into production before they cast the person and they're like eh close enough i like that sometimes it was just like they had a different uh like mold somewhere for some other toy line they're like ah this looks pretty close to arnold schwarzenegger i guess (laughs) exactly but they prototyped nine figures for the show a full sequest uh submergible vehicle so a full like probably like large size vehicle of the sequest and then three submarines um the stinger which i think we saw in this uh, one of these episodes we watched but it's it's the sub that looks like a little shark or a little manta ray that uh, someone gets inside of oh yeah okay that's pretty good there's the mini sub just one of the regular subs like kind of like a you can put stuff in the back of it it's a big bobblehead mm-hmm. sub and then they also had the um renegade delta four the uh the evil sub from the pilots that they fought oh. oh okay for the people who love the pilot yeah yeah these were these were what they prototyped well obviously they were just working off of probably what was happening on the pilots production so well maybe they thought what's her face was going to come back who was that evil captain Oh yeah, evil evil Sequest captain. I forget her name as well. Yeah, I can't remember. It doesn't because she's never going to come back. We know. But after the pilot came out and the ratings sharply declined, much of the full release of this was canceled. So all that ever made it to market were nine action figures, like none of the subs, none of the other things that they prototyped. Mm. But nine action figures made it to market, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you which nine characters made it. I do want to guess who who do you think who do you think made it? You can just give me two or three. I can guess. Uh, you got Nathan Bridger. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Nathan Bridger's getting an active figure. Looks just like Roy Scheider, by the way. Oh, great. Um, uh, they should do a beard variant, by the way. But anyways, um, I'd say there has to be a uh, Commander Jonathan Ford. Absolutely. John- Commander Jonathan Ford's getting in there. He's a great choice. Second in command. You probably got a, a Lucas Wallenchak. I'd assume he comes with a dolphin, but maybe that's that's asking too much. He does not come with a dolphin, but there is a Lucas Wallenchak. He comes in a wetsuit. Which I, I don't think oh, I've seen huh. an episode where he's wearing one, but he was in a wetsuit and a jean jacket. And then I'm trying to think, like, I, I maybe they made a Catherine Hitchcock, Lieutenant Commander Catherine they did. Hitchcock. There is a Lieutenant Commander hmm. Catherine Hitchcock. So uh, you can get an action figure with, uh, I believe her special action is dreamy eyes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to guess, I really hope, I don't think it's true, but did they make a Ted Raimi, Raimi one? Did they make a Timothy O'Neill? <laughs> You won't believe it, but there is a Ted Raimi one complete with glasses. It looks pretty cool, actually. Oh, that's pretty funny. Who yeah. else did they make? They had to make the dolphin. 
The dolphin has its own figure. Darwin is its own special action figure. Though I, mm. I was thinking about that. I was like, that must be the most disappointing action figure because, like, there's very little articulation on a dolphin. So it's like you're just getting a hunk of plastic. <laughs> Maybe it comes with that little uh, that little air tank it had to put on it one one episode. I believe it does. I was trying to see if it had, like, I assumed you would just be able to push a button and it would talk, but it did not appear to talk, which I thought was a missed opportunity. Yeah, agreed. Um, but other than that, like you've hit almost all of them. There is only one other crew member you missed. And to me, it's the perfect action figure. If I was going to get one action figure from the set, this is the one I would get. But they had Chief Crocker, the elderly <laughs> man who was the security <laughs> chief, had his own figure. And I was just like, hell you know yeah, what? that's the action figure I want. You know what's funny? That's the action figure where it would be like you'd go to Toys R Us or something. And there you'd see the sequest line, and it would be all that figure because it'd be the one that none of the kids wanted. It'd just be like 20 of Crocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have news for you. It is not the one that not everyone wanted. There's the, Things get lower on this action figure line. Oh, really? There were two other figures that came along with, that came along with this first nine series that came out. There's Dr. Z and The Regulator. Which I guess are probably villains from very specific episodes. One is like I, I guess some sort of genetic doctor, and the regulator like looks like he's out of Mad Max. He's got like a hat on, looks like he's right out of the outback, and he comes with a tiny monkey. I guess he's maybe some sort of black market guy from a different episode. And apparently, the one figure they made the most of was the regulator. Oh, he sounds like a wrestler. It's very regulator. funny. He doesn't even have a name. He's just the regulator. <laughs> Anyways, well, those are pretty good, though. Um, but yeah, those are the nine that came out, obviously. It did, did not go well. Um, and uh, that was uh, all the action figures ever made to market. They're still available. I looked on eBay. You can still get many of these things in their original packaging. They're still very available. <laughs> kind of want a, um, a Nathan Bridger toy. It looks remarkably good, if I'm being honest. I was surprised. I can, I can finally uh, complete that Jaws playset I've been working on. <laughs> I am surprised we haven't had a giant shark episode yet. Uh, maybe we missed it because we're only watching the top three, but I feel like they didn't do it. Do you think he was like, guys, we're not doing a Jaws episode? I think he might have been like, I'm going to put my foot down here. I mean, he had probably yeah, Spielberg in his so corner too. backing him up. So, Yeah. Well, honestly, is this show like, it would not do this show any favors to compare it to, you know, the greatest, like, what, what do you ever want to call it? Like a monster movie that's ever been made. It's like, I wouldn't, com- I wouldn't if I were you, Sequest, you know? Well, there's some more stuff we're going to talk about here because Sequest also got some video games when it came out. Did it really? There was an SNES game, a Super Nintendo game. There was a Sega Genesis game and a Game Boy game. And now, keep in mind, Jordan, if you think about those figures they got from the series of accounts, that's all season one. So this is also all happening all in season one. So it's a very different show than we're seeing in season two, but you can mm-hmm. sort of see where they're coming from here. And... I went on. I went online and tracked down a ROM of the original, uh, the original games of this, just so I could see what they were like. And I'm gonna be honest, the Super Nintendo game, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good game. What, what's the uh, What's the point of it? Is it like a Is it a, like a side scroll action game? It's a bit of a combination. You've kind of got a top-down version for the first levels, and that's where you 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 drive the sea quest. You've got missiles you shoot. You shoot little uh, mines at the back, and you have to like defend sea colonies from uh, enemy uh, subs. And like you can go into the submarine, and then you have like different missions, and like you control different things. Um, like the second level, I had to do is I had to save people who were in a collapsing cave underwater, and so you drive the sea quest up to the cave, and then you launch one of your uh, various um, 
mini subs that are on it. So you can take the mini sub out. You can take a stinger out, one of those like, uh, you know, dolphin-y looking subs. You can take Darwin out and that becomes a side scroller where you're swimming through caves and like avoiding falling like rubble and like trying to save the people in the cave. Honestly, as far as these games go, it was actually like pretty good and pretty like had a lot of like detail and depth to it. I was very surprised. It actually sounds better than the Star Trek Next Generation uh, uh, Genesis game that I had as a kid. Oh, was there a Genesis game? What, what happened in the Genesis game? It, it was like, it's like you would go in a lot of like away missions and they were okay. Like they were kind of sort of a somewhat top view, side view, kind of like adventure shoot phasers at things. But then you'd also have to like, you get hailed and you'd have to warp to different places by using the computer. But like every time you try to go somewhere, the Romulans would show up and you'd have the most frustrating space battles ever. <laughs> okay. It sounds exactly like the Nintendo one then. So I played that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, it was probably like a, a slightly upscaled version. But anyways, it wasn't great. So this Sequest game sounds better. See, this is why we can be friends as kids, Jordan. You're a Genesis kid. I'm a Nintendo kid. Yeah, we couldn't cross oh, over. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You'd walk over and be like, you're like three buttons. I, I also tried the Game Boy version of the Sequest game. It's mostly just a side scroller and was like unplayable. I was just like, it was. Just, I mm. could not figure out how to play it. So I gave up very quickly. But surprisingly mm. good nintendo version of it probably similar on the genesis i think they were the same game so you know what i I think they might have had a hit there on their hands Hmm. and jordan finally i've got one last little piece of the uh of the rush to sequest fever that was happening at uh universal (laughs) yeah there were plans for a sequest theme park ride really really you know what actually it's that's not bad if it's if it's water related like a water slide type thing i think that works well, there's not a lot of details on it. Apparently, Universal around this time had been developing a park in Germany. And in early plans for the park, they had sketched out what was going to be in it and like the layout of the park. And on the map was just a was a, a section, a building set, set out to be the Sequest Adventure. Um, but there are very few details. Uh, uh, on the I think I read about most of this on, as I said, the SequestVault.com. And the man on there had even reached out to the original architects who were like kind of charged with building it to see if he could get any details on what their plan was for the Sequest ride. And even they didn't quite remember if there had been any plans like 20 years ago for it. But it's very interesting that at some point that Universal is just like, this is going to be huge. We're going to need a Sequest ride. It's funny how um, you almost want to give them credit for being uh, ahead of the ahead of the curve. And then unfortunately, you know, the show wasn't as big a hit as they wanted. You know, you think of something like, um, like a no- something notorious like Power Rangers, where they didn't realize it was going to be such a big hit. And I think it was Bandai was the, to- the, the toy company that had the rights to them, like literally ran out. They just couldn't manufacture them fast enough for kids to buy them because they just had no idea they were going to be such a big hit. But this is like your opposite problem where, you know, what was it called? The Reformer? What's that? What, yeah, the what, the what Regulator. The Regulator. He's just sitting there, you know, because no one wants him. It's the opposite I mean, problem. He later appeared in that Stephen King novel, so it all worked out for him. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a funny thing it is um you know quite clearly a big corporate push behind this and it is just funny to be like so much work and care went into the other property like the nintendo game's good the action figures look cool they're thinking about a theme park ride and then you put out your pilot and like the ratings just start falling and falling and falling and there's just like someone at you know somewhere nbc universal just like hitting the abort button as hard as they can around all this stuff around it and and it's funny, and we'll talk about all these these next two episodes, and there's going to be a bit of a shift. Although I don't think as big a shift, at least in these two episodes we're going to watch, as maybe I was led to believe based on things I've read. Um, obviously, we'll talk about cast change and stuff. But it does feel like 
the show still doesn't quite know what it wants to be in tone and storytelling. And then it's almost like the people behind the scenes were like, change the cast. And it's like, I don't know if that was the problem. Like, I don't think, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're not giving the actors much to work with or the stories are not that engaging or um, uh, the plots are not that gripping, it's like changing the character's face. Is, I just don't think that's going to solve your problem. It's like, you know, your house is leaking. So you, you know, go build another door. It's just, I don't know, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because we're watching a very late season one episode this week and then we're going to jump right into season two. We're going to see the big changes they make. And you're right. It does, uh, and we'll get into it, but it does feel like the biggest change they made was like, let's just shuffle the deck with different actors and hope that fixes mm-hmm. our problem. Like, it does reek of like, we don't know what the problem is. Hopefully this fixes it. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, we have um, we have to f- just nearing the end of season one, episode 20, such great patience, which is what I think how you feel while watching this episode. You're giving such patience, huh? Such great patience to this episode. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Here's the IMDb summary for Season 1, Episode 20. Such great patience. While exploring an underwater earthquake, the Sequest discovers an alien spaceship that has been buried for close to one million years. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's it. That's it. I mean, here's the thing. We talked about, I think it was the last last, uh, two episodes we were were doing. There was a ghost episode. It was like a, a special episode, a Halloween episode. And I had said at the time, uh, something to the effect of um, this was a kind of a, a a big decision and maybe one that they didn't think about the implications of that, which is this for all intents and purposes has kind of been a it's a futuristic show, but it's not really science fiction so much other than the actual it's the future and people are underwater. There's not a lot of like it's not um, fantasy. things out There's of no the realm fantasy of in it. It's not a fantasy. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. And that ghost sort of changed things. And like, are you guys you guys keeping this in and then i was like that's a that's a choice like it's it's a direction to go in not saying it's necessarily a bad one but now when they have this alien in this episode it's like well you guys are going all in like once you put aliens in whether they come back or not like those possibilities have opened up your uh, storytelling better or worse you have to go with that now you can't just be like oh aliens anyways let's go back to um a problem where french kids can't breathe underwater you know yeah yeah i mean it really does like if ghosts are true what else is true if aliens are true what else is true it does put Mm. a spin on everything you do afterward yeah and again maybe that's a good thing for this show like I, i i think what we have seen is that people start you know like you said, the ratings start dropping in the show. They start retooling, and it seems like it gets people more and more angry and gets away from the show. But it was like, hey, I'm angry you changed that show that I wasn't watching and didn't really like very much. So I'm like, I don't know. Is that a bad thing? I mean, that's that's the question. That's the question. Well, this episode starts with a sequest in the uh, Kuril Trench, a thousand miles from Japan, and they're doing research on a recent undersea earthquake that has uh, opened up, a, mm-hmm. I guess, a, a, a titanic shell, a titanic t- t- oh tectonic tectonic thank you i can't speak this morning a shelf has opened up they can kind of see the history of the world in the uh i guess geological time scale down this sort of wall of this the seawall that's like risen out of the sea um and nathan is so into it he's more into it than i'm into anything like he's really into this crust they're very excited my favorite part is like (laughs) they're 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 swimming up they're sailing up to this this wall and nathan dr westphalen and commander commander four are all gathered around a screen and they could not be more excited to see just a wall of dirt yeah yeah he's just like i i can't believe this i can't wait to get back to my cabin and read more about it 
but there also experiences strange phenomena. There seems to be some signal that the comms is picking up that doesn't seem to mean anything, but it's giving the crew headaches, and Darwin is starting to hear words, or uh, as, as, as Darwin puts it, people words, not dolphin. <laughs> Did he ever say what, uh, what dolphin words are called? He never specified what dolphin words were. He just lets us know these were people words yeah. he's hearing. Things like uh, rock water, fire cloud, unit center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are people words. Those are people words. That's for sure. Those are not dolphin words. Yep. And suddenly there's an aftershock which causes the cliff to emerge even further from the tectonic plates. And as it climbs higher, what we come to see is inside of the wall is a million-year-old alien spaceship. Yeah. Now... Now, we go pretty much to this where you go to do um, a commercial. At this point, let's take you back to, what year would this be? Like 93, something like that? Yeah, I think so. So would you have been excited? Would you have been watching this show being like, yes, an alien episode? Yeah, I think so. I think this is an exciting turn. I think so too. Now, do I, I don't, I, I'm still kind of on the fence whether I think this is a good direction for the show, but I think as a kid during that time, as like an 11-year-old, I'd have been all in. It is funny. I read a piece of trivia, and I guess this is like sort of based on idea by Steven Spielberg. So like this is like a little seed of an idea he gave them and said, maybe there's something here you can work with. But also I'm just like watching this. I'm just like, as it's emerging from it, I'm just like, mm, just like that Michael Crichton novel sphere. <laughs> I never read that. It's very similar. It's, it's about uh, finding a million year old spacecraft, alien spacecraft at the bottom of the ocean. And I think it's uh, probably, you know, I think this is getting close to when the movie comes out. So I think, and, you know, this is clearly sort of post-Jurassic Park. Uh, so I think maybe later to dig around, like, mm, maybe this little idea we can we can snag from that there. Mm, mm, yeah, maybe. And it's not the, and we'll get, we'll get into it later. It's not the only idea they're borrowing from another source. So we'll keep going. Mm. Well, they do, they do. And they start right off the beginning um, where they're like, oh, they, they got a, they found an alien ship. Um, and there, and then there's a lot of conversation and I almost feel like too much in this episode of like, we need to let the military know we should talk to the military. We do all this stuff. It just seems like, is that what everyone's worried about? Like, just, just do like, we know you're going to have to like make a report or something about it, but they just have these, like, it seems like they have like 45 conversations about whether they need to tell the military or not. And I understand that's like an important thing, but it seems like this show thinks that's more interesting than it is to the viewer of like, like the bureaucratic paperwork that needs to be done. It's like, guys, I don't care. Like, we know you're going to tell them. Again, this is where we differ, Jordan. I, I like, oh, is I that like right? procedural stuff, and this is very procedural. Is that what happens when they find the ship? Is they start discussing that the UEO has an alien encounter program designed for just such an That's incident. That's right. <laughs> and it, this is the point where they're like, "We've got to now evacuate most of the crew. We have to keep them in the dark about what's going on." And it's very funny because it's, uh, you know, Nathan Bridger is going to be in charge. He's he's throwing his weight around with the UEO brass because they're like, you got to send that teenager out of there. It's not good for security. <laughs> and Nathan's just like, mm, I think I'm going to keep him. Uh, and they're like, why? He's like, well, I need him to uh, uh, talk to the dolphin. Yeah. I like, and then they're like, they're like, he's like really got you wrapped around his finger. And Nathan's like, is he? And I was like, I don't know what this means. Like they all know that the kid can do whatever he wants. What it means is there's this thing where I think, you know, as as you've said, like there's a little bit of procedural element to this show where they're like, they're, you know, they're going to walk you through what the what the steps would be if something like this happened. But then also they have to have a teenage boy on the show, which does not fit into that. You know, there's mm-hmm. no procedural element where you can like really easily talk the idea that like Lucas, the teen genius stays on the ship. So they're they're having to like do the procedural side, and then write themselves out of having to get the kid off the ship. 
Right. It is funny though that that's that's the thing you found interesting because it was the part I didn't like. I'm just like get to the alien ship. Just get to the alien ship. Let's just see what the alien looks like. No, no, no. I mean, there's some nice character bits here. I mean, a little odd character bits, but, like, some nice character bits. Like, as the ship's being evacuated, this is going to be an episode where Ted Raimi's character, Lieutenant uh, Junior Grade O'Neill, gets a little more um, screen time. And as everyone's evacuating, he's also leaving the ship, and um, Dr. West Phelan stops him, and they have a bit of a conversation about... uh, It's an odd conversation, but at least it's like, fills out his character a little more. But essentially, he doesn't want to stay to meet the aliens... Because the existence of aliens seems to run counter to his belief in God. So he's having some sort of crisis of faith over aliens existing and what that means for God existing kind of thing. I, I don't know. I can't, I, I'll be honest. I hated this. <laughs> I hated it. I just, like, I understand. I understand you have to go. It's This is 30 years ago. Um, it just, it's so ham-fisted and so boring and dumb. It's just like, I don't care. Like, it's it doesn't really actually tell me anything about his character. I know it kind of, like, it gives the implication does. I'm like, so what did I learn? Nothing. He didn't really learn anything. You're just wasting time with these, like, fake ways of building a character. Like, he doesn't he doesn't know what to believe. It's like, ugh, it's boring. I don't care. <laughs> I was happy. Dumb. It doesn't teach me anything about him. I was happy Ted Raimi got a little bit of screen time. And, you know, it is, what it is is they want to have a philosophical debate, but they don't have time and it doesn't fit into the episode. So it happens right. for two seconds. That's right. Now my my feeling is don't put that in because if it was, if that was what the episode was and they wanted to dedicate 45 minutes to that idea. Great. That's a great episode. But just to have this line where guys like, I don't know about God. And I was like, go away. This is such a dumb scene. You lose a point right for that scene. Well, One and O'Neill, it doesn't take much for Dr. Westfellow to talk him into staying. Like, he, he sticks around very quickly, so it's, it's, it's a moot point. But it did give at least me an idea that we're going to see more of him that episode, which was nice. I was glad to see uh, Ted Raymond get a wander it's, around. It is, it is true, and, and as we mentioned, for a show that is going to recast and stuff, and spoiler, he's going to stay. <laughs> I just, there does seem to be too many characters for what they want to do, because they really want to focus on, like, like, Nathan and Lucas and a couple people, but it's like, there's so many characters, so it's like, this seems like the first time we've actually heard, heard Ted Raimi's character say anything. Like, honestly, I, I think his name's Timothy, but I can't remember what his character's name is, because you never see him or have him referred to. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, let's be fair, we haven't watched all the episodes, but you are right that this is a weakness this show has, because Jordan, very quickly this episode, per usual, per all the episodes we've seen, they introduce a new character who's going to take up most of the screen time, mm-hmm. Commander Scott Keller, who's a Navy man who will head up the alien counter and, like, because he's always wanted, like, he's just, like, their alien expert. But I was just like, we have so many characters. Why do we need a new guy who, who I would argue is the lead of this episode, like, surplanting Bridger as mm-hmm. the main character of the episode? I would I would agree. It should have been, um, uh, what's your face? Uh, Commander Hitchcock. That's who it should have been leading this. Anybody, they could have sense. given anyone the job on the ship of being like, oh, in your training, you were the one who got the alien training, so now you're in charge. But no, they got to they got to ship someone in from outside to our already bloated cast to take over the episode. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, I mean, he's a fine character. He's like in the Navy, but he's really anti-Navy. He's like anti-like uh, war. So he's kind of just got a he's a bit more like Bridger than he is like Ford. It kind of gives him a nice thing, but there, it doesn't really go anywhere, but it's just this idea that he's a he's he's there to meet the aliens because he's a peaceful man. Mm-hmm. And on the topic of new characters, Jordan, um, it's a very minor thing, but much like uh, the ghost doctor slash freshwater sinkhole doctor, uh, Dr. Levin from those 
last two episodes we watched, there was sort of, you know, this new character who came in. He was there to provide exposition, and he only did apparently a four-episode arc. Do you remember him, right? Uh, Krieg? Dr. Levin. No, I don't remember Dr. Levin. He was the, he was the ghost doctor slash the freshwater sinkhole doctor. Oh, okay, sure. You don't remember him at all? Is he, is he, he's had long hair? Yeah, yeah, he had the long hair. Yeah, okay, I do remember him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not a lead character in the cast. He was just, he was there for a four-episode arc or something where they just brought him in every time they needed exposition. Well, there is a similar character in this episode, a, uh, uh, what's his name? He's, he seems to be in the security detail. His name's Chief William Shan. You might have recognized him. He's, uh... He's an actor, Dustin Wynn, who uh, is uh, right. 21 Jump Street and Pamela Anderson's VIP series. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, yeah, he, he's in like a couple episodes, right? He does another four-episode arc, very similar to that other actor. He did a four-episode mm-hmm. arc. We've only seen him in this one, but he, he's just in the middle of the arc he ran on Sequest. But again, it's like a weird side character. He gets a lot of screen time, not as much as Dr. Levin did in that previous one. But um, he, he's kicking around, and it's just interesting. I'm just like... Again, they're bringing in a new, like, side character. Like, you know, you might compare him to, like, O'Brien on Star Trek, but it's just, like, we've got so many characters we don't want to do anything with, and now they're they're just perpetually bringing new characters. And every time I turn around, there's a new character I'm seeing. I wanted to uh, wait to see if you uh, you noticed it, but I'm I'm getting the sense you didn't. Did you know who um, uh, Scott was? This commander who they brought in? He's oh, been I in didn't. another I show didn't. we've seen. Uh, the, the new commander? I did not know who he was. Yeah. Uh, well, he has been in a many episodes of a show we've seen. He played a little character called Captain Troy in Galactica 1980. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Kent, it's Kent McCord. Yeah. Oh, he aged so well. <laughs> yeah, he did. You didn't recognize he's got a very distinctive kind of chin. I he, noticed it right away. <laughs> he's pretty generic to me on that other show, so I uh, I didn't. I probably wouldn't have recognized him on the street. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, well, Kent McCord's back. But about what do you say? So it's about thirteen years later. That's nice. I'm happy to see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, he does a great job in this episode. I mean, it's why we need another character. I don't know, but he's he's a good actor. It it is funny you mentioned that because it is interesting that they add new character and you do like ugh a new character, but he's actually pretty engaging, so you don't mind it. But it's it's frustrating if you were a show and you liked this show and you had a character you really liked, like let's say. Uh, Commander Ford, who like for whatever reason they just won't give any sc- screen time to. Like he gets very little for like the third actor on the on the roster. But it's like, oh well, I guess that's just I don't know. That's the way they want to do this show. Yeah, I mean, even this new security chief they brought in, Chief William Shan. Uh, I was like, any time he's on screen, I was like, oh, this guy, guy looks interesting. I'm like really into him. But I'm just like, why do I need a new character to be interested in? Like it was just so odd. I was just like. Because they give him a lot of screen time. He doesn't want to say, but he has a lot of screen time in the episode. And it, I was engaged by him, but it just kept me wondering. I'm just like, how many new characters do I need to like engage with at any given time? Yeah. I think what they're trying to do is maybe show how big the ship is and how many more people you're going to meet. It just is handled in a very clumsy way. Yeah. It's just there's too many characters we haven't got to spend enough time with. Or they don't get enough time in at any given episode to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it does, it's just like, here's more people to juggle. I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we could complain yeah. about this forever. Let's keep going. Okay. We can complain forever, Jordan. Yeah. We have to, we have to talk about how the ship's made of crystals. This alien ship. <laughs> this alien ship they found, it is uh, made out of silicon, entirely crystals. The aliens seem to grow their ships out of crystals. And it's, it's more than a mile long. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a fun scene where they're trying to figure out, like, how did an alien ship get all the way across the universe to us? And they, it doesn't matter, but they're standing around there and they start theorizing of how, how it could have traveled through space. And it was just, I just like, they're just like, it could have used curved space loops or wormholes to arrive here. And they're like, but we're not going to figure it out. We just wanted to throw those little tidbits at you. <laughs> See, that's all, that's all I want from this show. I, I just want the basic where they're just like, it might have been a wormhole. Anyways, back to the crystal ship, because that's enough. That's all <laughs> I want. Because if the show tries to get too smart, it's just it's annoying. So it's just like, just throw it out there, then get back to trying to get onto a little crystal ship. Yeah, and Bridger has to pick a boarding team to go on board the ship with that commander, Scott Keller. And... Um, he picks a great team. Uh, he picks first the cowardly Chief Crocker, which is great. I love that the chief of security is always afraid of everything, and they just send him on the missions, and he just like is yeah. like, okie dokie. <laughs> He's like, I'm three years from retirement. Well, I got to spit on the ground for good luck. <laughs> they send Lieutenant uh, Junior Grade O'Neill, Ted Raimi, over, so that's where we're going to see a little more of his character wandering around. And finally, they send the most important crew member, Supply and morale officer Lieutenant Krieg <laughs> to be the official photographer. <laughs> yeah, why would they send him? It's because there's a scene where Krieg takes his ex-wife, Lieutenant Hitch or Commander Hitchcock aside, and he's begs her. He's like, "Can you please throw your weight around as a commanding officer to get me on that boarding party? Because I really want to meet an alien." And she's just like, Sure, why not? We have an entirely qualified crew, but I'm going to put you, my ex-husband, on out of nepotism. <laughs> I mean, that's how nepotism works, Luke. It's just very funny. They go to a lot of trouble just to get him on there. And I'm just like, I don't like, he's an okay character. I don't know what having him on there really does for their, like, he's, he's just he's just kind of there. Well, uh, spoiler, he won't be here in season two. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um... They all get in a mini sub and head over. They cut their way into the ship. And, and, you know, we get to see the interior of the ship. It looks pretty good. Like, it's a cool looking ship. There's some nice wide shots they do where you see, like, expansive uh, hallways in the ship. It's, 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 it's decent, decent uh, ship building for this era. Yeah. And, like, in the alien ship as, like, uh, um, we're talking about alien ship, right? Yes, we are. Yeah, sorry. For a minute, I was like, maybe we're still talking about Sequest. The alien ship was, uh, it's, like, got this, like, long bridge sort of, like, thing, tunnel. And then they have, like, it's almost like tentacle like tentacle tubes that run over over the top of it. I thought it looked all right. Yeah, yeah, it's a decent looking ship, and they and they sort of talk about how its atmosphere is unbreathable. I think they're like it's it's got xenon and an argon and maybe and there's I think I couldn't understand this, but someone's like and there seems to be some asbestos or something. I'm like oh, I don't know what's <laughs> happening, but I guess it's unbreathable. <laughs> the idea. And they do yeah. a radar scan of the ship, and it reveals that like 99 percent of the ship is just storage for fuel, and 1% of it is a cockpit. So they're just like, this was a one-way trip. Whoever came here, they weren't planning to go back. Like, that's the big, the mystery of this ship just mm-hmm. keeps, like, getting bigger, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get some nice scenes where they wander this very expansive thing, and and uh, uh, old O'Neill, uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade O'Neill, makes a very relatable comparison to what the experience of wandering a dark alien ship is like. I'm sure you were just like... That explains it to me as a viewer. I feel it in my soul now. What did he say? He says, you know what this is like? Remember when you were a kid and your church would have a haunted house fundraiser Halloween? That's what this feels like. <laughs> I mean, that's evocative. It's very funny because then Krieg's like, uh, the supply officer is just like, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. It feels exactly like that. I'm just like, what is this shared experience all these characters have? <laughs> And then Ted Ramey's character is like, I don't even believe in God anymore because aliens. 
<laughs> Did you ever see the uh, documentary? Uh, it's called Hell House about um, about uh, the uh, haunted houses that the uh, these churches in the states run, where it's just like <laughs> no, it's all the all the rooms are just like different sins you uh, teens can commit that ends up, and then it ends up with the teen going to hell. And I was just like, is that the haunted house he's talking about? Like every alien ship room they go in, there's like a kid trying alcohol for the first time or premarital sex. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That would be funny if you saw that. You just saw the aliens <laughs> drinking. I'm like, oh, that's going to lead to trouble. Oh, they shouldn't be doing that. God won't let <laughs> Anyway, while they're wandering around on there, there's, I mean, this is maybe a, a part that I'm sure was not your favorite. I wasn't necessarily my favorite either, but they have a lot of cutaways back to Sequest. And it's just time for the Sequest crew to ruminate on the, like, meaning of finding aliens like one of the scenes is captain mm-hmm. bridger and dr westphalen are just waxing poetic about like aliens and the and the passage of time and how uh i believe what they say is the kids of lucas's generation the kids these days they've just been expecting <laughs> to meet aliens we just thought they might be out of there but the kids these days they're just like they think aliens just come to their door and i was just like i don't yeah. like it's just such a weird scene they're like filling space with like talking about like generational differences around alien belief and i was just like what is it the ki- this this supposed to get me? <laughs> well, what it, I think it was supposed to be is it, yeah, I think you're right. It's supposed to be kind of pointing at this generational divide, but because they don't have a concrete example for that divide, they're just like, yeah, kids these days are expecting aliens. I'm like, okay, that's a weird criticism of the next generation. But it's just like I know they just went with it. Honestly, these are the scenes that like don't matter to this episode at all. And it's every time they kept cutting it away, I was just like, you guys are cutting any tension that you might have on the ship because what they're trying to do on the alien ship is this crew is it's dark they're a little bit scared they don't know what's happening and they what they're going to see and you're like okay this might be interesting and then they keep cutting back to like people on the ship being like anyways in my day we didn't know about aliens i'm like oh i don't care bridger (laughs) yeah it's it's a bit strange i mean even as the tension sort of does start picking up like they sense with their sensors they sense with their sensors um that the alien ship is changing and like becoming unstable and that like it may be self-destructing of the silicon uh, version of uh, construction of it seems to be like breaking down and maybe mm-hmm. it's a self-defense mechanism but this is supposed to like uh, you know light a little bit of a fire on the away team basically that's on the ship like they're gonna have to get out of there before it all falls apart but they haven't discovered anything yet so there's a bit of um I guess that's where the tension's supposed to come in, but very yeah, quickly, it's to be like you guys get to get off, and they're like, "Well, we don't want to get off." They're like, "You need to get off." They're like, "All right, we will." I was like, "Okay." Yeah, and, but it's basically as soon as they turn around to leave, they they finally see an alien. They meet an alien, Jordan. And how would you describe these mm-hmm. aliens? They're very bony. Um, they sort of have like like high like they like they look sort of like an emaciated person that's also kind of like like sand colored um like a sand like soil and they have like big shoulders big bony shoulders and like a very elongated head would that be a good way of describing them yeah yeah they're kind of yeah that head's a little bit like one of those gray aliens from the 90s definitely pulling from that genre it it looked a little bit like like the aliens from what was that show where the uh, like was it earth 2 was that what it's called yeah 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 exactly earth 2 yeah those aliens that came out of the ground yeah, it definitely looked just like those aliens for sure. Although I will say, mm-hmm. this has to be one of the sexiest aliens we've ever seen, right? They're so ripped. They're so <laughs> muscular. I've never seen a sexier alien. Um, they have, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, the alien kind of does very a lot of like slow walking. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a, like of a contact communication thing. And it sort of raises its hand. But every time it sort of like moved out of the room, I was like, 
this moves very uh, feminine. I wonder if it's a woman who was doing the, uh, the the puppeteering. And I was like, oh, it was a woman. And then it was an interesting thing of just like, I kind of like there is this um, ambiguousness to it because it doesn't have, the aliens don't seem to have any gender to them. Um, and there was something sort of interesting about that, of this um, this idea of the, of the differences. I, I, I like that, actually, the look of that. Yeah, I do agree. It's uh, like the movements, there's a little bit of a sway to them, but the actual like, figure with the because they are very mm. muscular they look very they look very masculine because they're in their in their muscularness and like just the way they're they're cut but then when they move they have a very different feel to them i don't know it was a very fun look yeah they also have a, a wristband do you like do you like the little wristband oh, yeah they the little glow bands on them they're, they're completely <laughs> like, nude other than those glow bands <laughs> so like they're wearing no clothing except like a little a little band around their wrist and then like a hoop and what I thought was most interesting too was when they cut to the close-ups and you finally see the aliens like face because it's a very humanoid face obviously mm-hmm. looks exactly like Henry, Henry Winkler exactly <laughs> like I thought it was Henry Winkler playing the alien I I didn't see that but I'm gonna go back and look and see if I see the it's fonts. crazy I was just like this is Henry Winkler's face on this alien <laughs> I like that. I, I wish they 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 uh, built it like sort of like a what was it? Uh, it's Mike Meyer, Michael Myers, Mike Myers. He's Mike to me. Michael Myers and uh, is William Shatner, right? So it would be funny if they had, they based it on Henry Winkler. <laughs> but yes, this is who they run into, and um, their communications get cut, so they can't really report back to the ship that um, they've met an alien. And it's at this point things start getting really bad because uh, old Chief Crocker. They left him with the sub just to kind of guard the sub. And also, he's a bit cowardly, so it's fine. He, he's happy to stay with the sub. And they send him in to go find the crew. And as soon as he goes in, he bumps into another alien. And as you mentioned, Jordan, they have those uh, glowing wristbands they're always wearing. And his, mm-hmm. Crocker's brought a gun with him. And so as soon as the alien sees Crocker with a gun, he vaporizes Crocker. Crocker's vaporized. He's gone. Yeah. And let me just say, we I know this is like a... I, I don't know what time this, what this show is on. I'm guessing like 7 o'clock at night or something like that. So you know these characters are not dead, but through the course of from this point on to the end of the episode, several characters are going to get zapped and they just seem to be dead. And it would have been great if they were dead, but obviously they're going to come back and it doesn't want to do it. But what I after, at the end, obviously these characters are going to come back through a series of magical things. Um, wouldn't it be great if it just like changed that character entirely? Because they have like this, they don't know where they were. They were in this sort of like uh, purgatory of not in death and they and they just have to live with that for the rest of their life that would be a great character arc that's what they were gonna refocus crocker's character on yeah yeah he's just like he's really down he starts listening to like my chemical romance and stuff i mean it was getting near the end of the season i know they were gonna do a big recast so i was just like i don't know maybe uh, maybe the network was just like uh, sorry sorry crocker your action figure's not selling well enough you're out of here I mean, you know what? If they were going to do it, this was a great opportunity. It actually set some stakes of like, hey, people die in this world. That's but, true. I mean, it's it's true. A, it's, but again, it, it's a kid show. Yeah, it's not the case. <laughs> anyway, since Sequest has lost communication with the boarding party, Yulio is calling down from the surface and they're just like, you got to destroy the alien ship. You got to sacrifice your team. We can't risk it. We can't, we can't risk this alien ship doing something terrible to our planet. And of course, you know, Bridger's just like, nah, nah, no, thank you. Uh, I won't be, I won't be doing those orders. Classic Bridger move. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. And suddenly the sub they had sent over to the alien ship returns but none of their crews on it, and they start getting reports from all over the ship. Their their sensors are picking up weird readings, and crew members are seeing aliens appearing all over the ship. And as soon as they see the crew member, the alien vaporizes them. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and they, it is an interesting thing. It was actually happens in, I think, both episodes that we're going to, uh, this episode and then the one we're going to talk about, where if this was, you know, a show that clearly there is some mimicry happening, which was the big show at the time, which we've mentioned, which is Star Trek The Next Generation, I think there would have been a greater push of um, a conversation of like, how do you have this first contact with an alien? How do you, what are our differences? How do we overcome them through a series of events? But that it's like, they just don't want to do that for whatever reason. It's like, there's an opportunity here where an alien can't communicate to the point where anytime it gets like a little bit frightened or defensive, it just zaps you away. There's something interesting there, but it's like, they just keep getting away from it. And I don't know why they did it. It's almost like they can't figure out what the interesting part of their episode is. Well, I mean, it's to give an invasion onto the ship. There's a threat that maybe this alien is evil and like crew members are dying now as a result. I mean, it all happens very quickly. So there's not a lot of time to like dwell on it um, because they, uh, they arm up. They get all their they get all their guns together. I, did you notice these Sequest guns? They're the craziest guns I've ever seen. They've got like so many no, attachments on what them. What were they? They're just like assault rifles, but they have like they have like a full size flashlight strapped to them, and there's like two different barrels you can shoot of plus a grenade launcher on them. I was just like, these are the craziest <laughs> guns are insane. <laughs> they have, by the way, they've really dropped the idea that they're like an exploratory thing. Huh? Like I know that's sort of what they do at the beginning of the show, but it does seem like they're military first. I mean, they're like, ready. Of, of the, of the, of the 50% military, 50% like science. This is like, it's more like 70, 30, baby. To be fair, that is the theme of this episode is just like encountering new life. And then which, which tact do you take? Do you take the military tact of like safety or do you take the like science tact of discovery? Like that is, it's not like well run through it, but that is a theme they're attempting here. Mm, yeah. At any rate, Bridger and his team, they track down one of the aliens. They find him in a hallway. And, and when they meet the alien, the alien doesn't seem all that interested in them. But when Darwin, like, swims up through his little swim tube uh, that's, that's, you know, built into the hallways, <laughs> the alien takes a real interest in Darwin and then turns and walks directly through the bulkhead as if it's just like, an, like it's just an invisible man or like a ghost or something. Walks right through the bulkhead, leaving a trail of sand behind it. Yeah, the trail of sand was good. I actually thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was a nice little touch. And this causes Bridger to go consult with his old uh, friend, the AI holographic professor, just to, like, figure out what's happening. And this is kind of just, it's a way to get some exposition out of the way. And the hologram basically hypothesizes that these aliens are actually just, like, manifestations of the ship. They're actually closer to holograms like himself than actual aliens. And what he's sort of saying, the hologram sort of figures out is just, like, there's no one alive on that ship. These are just like mechanisms triggered by the ship when you went inside. And why they're able to walk through walls is they're just like some version of an, a hologram using, I believe they call it a, uh, what do they refer to them as? Silicon magnetics is crea- are creating the illusion of aliens mm-hmm. on the ship. Though I'm not sure how that quite explains their glowing wristbands that vaporizes people. It's fine. The idea of being this like, these aren't real aliens. These are just a, a yeah. security system the ship has. Mm-hmm. And... Now that they know that, they're like, okay, so what does the ship want? And what the ship seems to want is these holographic sand alien beings are chasing Darwin throughout the ship. And and Bridger suddenly realizes what this must mean. It's just like the ship got here a million years ago. It was trying to find the most intelligent beings on the planet, obviously. And at that time, a million years ago, it wasn't humans. It was dolphins. And this is Star Trek Four. Yeah, I know. I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, it's Star Trek Four, but I was like, but it's still, it's still a good idea. I think that's a pretty good idea. Again, this episode, 
I wish I liked it more. I don't think it's a bad episode. It's just that there's a bunch of like sprinkling of kind of interesting ideas. Like you're saying, like the alien holograms kind of interesting idea. Um, the idea of um, them finding this old ship and they used to only communicate with dolphins. Interesting idea. But there's so much other like subterfuge that you have to make your way through this episode. You're like, guys, just like focus on the interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we're feeling a little different. I get it, though. Like, it's not the most cohesive episode. Every turn, mm-hmm. though, is a new idea, at least, which I think, for me, is a, is an improvement on this show. I think I think you're right. I think that's maybe what my issue is. You're right. It's not that it doesn't. It's the bad ideas. It's the cohes- cohesiveness that I think is missing the mark and keeps it from being like... It's not that it's not a, a bad episode. It keeps it from being a great episode, I think. Yeah, it's sort of... Anytime there's a new turn, it's a new idea. You know, you don't... If you think about it too hard, you're kind of like, well, why don't we focus on that idea and not these other ones? You know, it just it raises more questions mm-hmm. than it answers necessarily. But what it is now we know is the ship is trying to find a dolphin. It, the signal it's putting out that's giving them headaches, the one that uh, is allowing Darwin to hear people words, it's it's all coming from this ship. And the ship is seeking out Darwin specifically because it's the only one who can understand what what the aliens are trying to communicate. Because when they got to this planet a million years ago, dolphins were the smartest beings on the planet Mm -hmm. and now that they know this darwin is able to translate for them essentially the aliens have come to this planet the message they're providing is they're offering cooperation they want to cooperate with other beings out in the universe and they provide a set of coordinates that uh if the beings on this planet reply to that this set of coordinates they it's it's setting out an olive branch basically it's like if you reply to a set of coordinates we'll know you're friendly and that you'd like to cooperate with our race essentially and that's mm-hmm. that's what darwin's able to interpret via the alien signal now that they understand what it is i think there's a bit of a thing where it's like it's giving everyone headaches and darwin can only sort of understand it and i think what it is is bridger has the brainwave it's like this is a message for dolphins so we need to slow it down to dolphin speed. I think is I think that's how they solve the problems. They're like slow the message down to dolphin speed. But you know this is the idea that happens yeah. at this stage. You know the climax of the episode yeah. essentially. And once you know they do this, they understand what the aliens want. Darwin's able to explain to the alien ship that uh, humans aren't bad and to stop killing his friends. Yes, it may look like I'm uh, the only dolphin on this ship that you think is a superior race and maybe a slave to humans. I'm not though. I promise. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. These tubes they have me floating around are very comfortable and very just comfortable. What I I'm not a captive here, despite yeah. the way it looks. <laughs> um, and so the aliens all turn to sand, and uh, we cut back to the ship on the and the boarding parties on the ship has been continuing to wander around, and they they you know they finally find the cockpit of this million dollar ship, and on the cockpit they find the only actual alien that was ever on, and he's just a mummified corpse that's laying in the cockpit and. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's supposed to be a moment of just like, oh, the alien sacrificed its life to communicate this to us. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't, as a mummified alien, he doesn't look that much different than he did before. No, no, he he preserved very well. What I liked is they find that they find this cockpit finally, and they walk in, and uh, morale and supply officer Craig, the first thing he does is just starts pushing screens with his hands. I'm just like, don't. Don't do that, Craig. Don't walk onto the alien ship and just start pushing things. Like, I don't think that's a wise idea. That's why he shouldn't have been on the away team. This is what I'm saying. He doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they get him off the show. Oh, wait. (laughs) Anyway, with the entire situation explained, uh, the the ship is still breaking down. So they're just like, hey, you know, comms are working again. The alien has stopped, like, blocking comms. Boarding party, you have to get off the ship. And they're like, oh, wait, boarding party, before you go, our sensors are picking up a bunch of life forms appearing on the ship. And, like, they're just like... It's the exact same number as our missing crew members who were, like, vaporized by the alien. And they're like, well, we'll go get them. 
they're like, oh, wait, never mind. They're all disappearing and appearing in a pool on Sequest now. Like, it's a pool party at the end of, like, a, a Simpsons parody of a Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> movie. Like, all the, the crew members are just, like, on the ship. And they're like, oh, no, wait, they've been transported to Sequest. And they're all in a pool. So I was just like, okay, I, I get you need to bring everyone back. But this is so confusing. <laughs> Yeah, it, that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> you knew it was going to happen, but it was just done, and they're just like, uh, uh, sure, they're in a pool. You're like, okay. But yeah, great. It's just like, but first they were on the alien spaceship for 30 seconds when they rematerialized. It's just like, I'm like, there's a lot of steps involved in them coming back to this pool. <laughs> it should have been that it just it just wrecked their uh, wrecked their minds for the rest of their life. You know? Yeah, yeah, they're so horribly scarred. <laughs> Anyway, the episode closes with Captain Bridger calling all the staff together for a secret meeting. He essentially wants to reply to the aliens, the coordinates they got, but not tell the Navy because he thinks the Navy is going to be too reactionary to the idea of aliens. And he basically has brought them all together to ask them to keep this secret with him. Um, and the idea, this is where that conflict comes in of like military versus science kind of thing that you, you mentioned earlier, this theme mm-hmm. that's sort of running throughout. And he needs to get basically the Navy men on the sequest to agree to this plan because you know the idea is the yeah. science officers already agree with him because it's a great plan <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's like uh let's all are we all gonna just keep this secret like hands up you know yeah so that's the idea is it's like we're all going to come together agree and everyone does obviously that's the point of this series is mm-hmm. that they all the entire crew agrees they'll keep it a secret but they're going to reply to the message although i gotta say this message was meant for a dolphin and uh, no dolphin is present in that room for that meeting <laughs> Just funny. I never thought of that. They really should have taken Darwin's vote too. It seems like Darwin has a, has a say in this, but it, well, not this time. He's going to be used though to reply. I guess they're going to get him to translate the reply. Yeah, <laughs> he's almost like a slave. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they agree to send this message, and uh, you know, Bridger hits send on his little uh, whatever. He's got this like BlackBerry he's got or whatever, and he hits send on that. And mm-hmm. it's so weird because they're like, we sent it off with the return address. Of the Sequest. I was just like, I have so many questions. A, the Sequest is always on the move. B, how many years do you think it's going to take this alien message to get to them that you think you're still going to be around to receive a reply? I thought the same thing. Why, why did they say Earth? Like, from Earth. From like Earthlings. How pinpoint accurate are these aliens? are going to be able to, like, hit the exact <laughs> coordinates of Sequest to reply? I'm just like, I, I don't know if this makes sense. What made me th- realize is they've done the exact problem that happened that started all this. They, the aliens originally came only could communicate with the uh, the dolphins because they were the most advanced species. Now humans are thinking that by the time that the aliens come back, that they'll still be in charge. Who knows? Humans may be gone. We may have a new new species. Just say Earth. That's close enough. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you're making it too complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic anyway, sequest. That's the end. The credits roll. Our good friend, technical advisor Bob Ballard appears, and he's just like, <laughs> "Hey, everybody. This episode was bullshit." It's, it's, it's my favorite the point they lost they gained back for this because having the guy come and be like hey there's no aliens anyways there might be sequest <laughs> you know it's so funny he just comes on he's like well this episode was completely fantasy but you know we have these steady satellites that listen for alien messages or something i don't know i'm from i'm a sea guy i don't really understand that stuff uh but yeah. here i am he was like, I don't know why you guys even brought me out for this, but I have to say something every episode. So anyways, I don't believe in aliens. It was my favorite part, too. I was just like, I'm like, this poor man. Just like, I don't know. This yeah. one was, uh, I did not listen to my technical advice on this one. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's that episode. All right, Jordan, are you ready to jump ahead? Are you ready to get to season two? Yeah, I'm ready for changes. Let's get some changes on Sequest, because here's the IMDb summary for season two, episode six, the sincerest form of flattery. If this sub is so hard to detect, what makes you think it's anywhere around us? Every hour on the hour, it broadcasts a one-word message. Now, what's the one word? The word is always Bridger. Bridger. Yes. It seems to be calling your name. A malfunctioning AI sub begins firing on civilian targets. Sequest is sent to track it down and destroy it. During the fight, it is determined that the sub is using Captain Bridger's mental profile for its AI logic. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, pretty much what this is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's a rogue AI kind of plot. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Let's, I mean, we'll figure out how to talk about this since we're kind of jumping ahead. There's some pretty big cast changes here. So um, mm-hmm. I, I was impressed myself. I was impressed by myself, Jordan. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, I got pretty way? close to the people who were removed from the show. That's true. But I have a feeling, though, Luke, we were talking about this when we weren't recording. We were discussing what uh, people we thought were going to go off, didn't we? Or did we do that on no, the No, it was on the air. That, I, I made the guesses, oh, and I got almost all of them. The only one I really missed mm-hmm. was Lieutenant Hitchcock, who I mm-hmm. wanted to include. I actually thought she might be gone, so I should have included her. But otherwise, we got it. It was Crocker. It's Krieg, the supply officer. And mm-hmm. it's Cap- Dr. Westphalen, the love interest uh, slash doctor on the ship for um, Bridger. And then, yeah, your, your friend, uh, Piercing Eyes, Lieutenant uh, Hitchcock. Yeah, that was a mistake. But they're going to bring some new characters in this. And uh, the ones I think I got them all. We've got a new doctor, Wendy Smith. Terrible character so far. Terrible character. I mean, she's, she's barely if in we're the talk- episode. <laughs> She's barely, and she's she's Deanna Troy. That's what she is, apparently. Well, that's what's um, weird. She's you, not Deanna Troy. She's Doctor Crusher, but with psychic powers. <laughs> that's right. She's Doctor Crusher slash Deanna Troy. Um, we've got James Brody, um, who's just like a pretty boy. There's nothing that you, we'll never have to talk about him because he doesn't do anything. You've got um, maybe my arguably one of the worst characters I've ever seen on TV, which is uh, Tony Piccolo, who is like a bad extra in the Sopranos episode. He's just like, hey, yo, ma, let's have a pizza pizza. Oh, I'm Italian, hey, oh. And it's like, oh, it's every seat. I was just like, he's the worst. It's he's the odd worst choice character. For him. It's, it's just the stereotype of a New York Italian is what they're going for, and they're going hard for it. Yeah, they're going, it's it's so hard. It's like a like a, like a Saturday Night Live sketch version. And you, it's terrible. And and the, he has way too much screen time. And then there's... um. Apparently, Helmsworth, Lonnie Henderson, who does get some scenes, but that we don't get any characterization, so I don't know anything about her. I mean, then, I'll say this about the episode is uh, three of those characters, the Helmswoman, Lonnie Smith, the uh, doctor, whatever her name is, Smith, and then um, mm-hmm. the other guy you mentioned, the handsome, uh, handsome Lieutenant James Brody. James Brody. Uh, because we're watching a random episode of season two, it's the first time we're watching them. Any of these three characters could have been a background extra with a line and you wouldn't I wouldn't have known they were regular characters other than being in the front cast because they they are not in the episode for any way any meaningful way they pop up each for like one line and disappear again yeah yeah and then there's a 
There's two things I want to say. The first, there's another. <laughs> it makes me laugh. There's another character, and I don't know what happened in the show between episode 28 of the first season and episode seven here of the second season. But there's a character called Dagwood. I'm assuming <laughs> he's some sort of robot slash someone with a head injury slash clone slash alien. I don't know what he is, but he's a big kind of bald guy with maybe scars on his face marble skin he's... it's like it's like yeah. he's like a marble <laughs> cheese with black lines yeah. running through him that's a very good description that's exactly he's a marbled man and um he's some sort of dumb robot and he just like he walks into the scene a couple times he's like people emotions and i was like what is this character he's data that's what he is he's terrible he's a terrible character he's very much a data he's very much a quester he doesn't understand the human world and he's he's learning about it yeah. What I found strange is, you know, is he dumb? Is he not? He definitely has to be, he has to play up the dumbness a little bit. That's part of the character. Yeah. It's supposed to be, I think, a childlike wonder, but I don't think that's coming across. But then you also have Tony Piccolo, who part of his major character trait is he is also dumb. Yeah. So we have two yeah. characters whose major character traits are they just don't know how anything <laughs> on Sequest works. Yeah. Um. But uh, Luke, I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I noticed. Did, but you, you know what I'm going to say, right? Yeah, that the, these are two brothers by one famous yes. actor father. <laughs> They're Dom DeLuise's kids that are both on this show. Who in their right mind said, I know how I'm going to fix this show? Dom DeLuise's kids. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's even crazier that they're not brothers on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. But because they were like, no, no, one's the Italian stereotype. This other guy is a dumb robot. No one's going to notice they're brothers. It's fine. You forget, though, Jordan, that Italian stereotype has one last endearing trait. He's the guy with gills that I kept waiting to appear. No, he's not. He has yeah, gills? At midway through the episode, he swims around without a suit on because he's got gills. He's got the Italian Tony Piccolo has gills so he can swim underwater. I didn't realize that's why he was underwater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm the dumb one. I'm the dumb robot. I will say this. Big character changes, moved a lot of people out. Odd yeah. that they didn't reduce the cast. They, like, kept the cast the same number. It is weird. No, if if I would have kept the cast, I would have kept Captain Bridger. I would have kept... I probably would have kept the Doctor. I probably would have kept Hitchcock and Ford. And then maybe, maybe uh, Lucas, because he was a big heartthrob. That's it. That's a cast of, like, five or six. And then And then you have, like, little bit characters who, like, you know, like like an O'Brien type character who would show up and sort of like be a regular, but not like a regular character. That's I think all you need. There's too many people. Yeah. It, it doesn't solve the core problems. There's too many people. There's still too many people. on the show. Mm-hmm. But now they're just a little bit younger. Well, and also the one thing they did is they also made them more weird because there's like robot clone man. Who's weird. There's a man with gills now <laughs> and there's psychic doctor. It's just like now we've solved the problem. They have a lot more weird character traits. But but uh, one other addition is Nathan's grown a beard. A welcome addition, actually. I love him with the beard. He looks really good. It was a good choice. I agree. I agree. He looks better. Well, let's get into the episode, Jordan. It, uh, it starts with a top-secret mm-hmm. AI prototype sub being built uh, for the UEO at Sea Science Limited, some sort of submarine development company. And uh, it looks mm-hmm. like a Stingray. It's like a weird, big, long Stingray ship. It's a, it's a marauder, yeah, yeah. marauder class sub, apparently. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Very secret. 
Very secret. And the, and the programmer who's uh, working on it, he's in the middle of uploading a, a seemingly illicitly obtained special disk to augment the onboard AI. Um, but as he's doing the upload, some clumsy tech spills his, quote, slam into the banks. That man spilled his slam into the banks, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, they, and they, he opened the memory banks during a download, and everyone knows that's the worst thing you could do. How could you do that? You can't open the memory banks during a download. And if you do, don't spill your <laughs> slam in it. <laughs> I know. For whatever reason, this whole opening scene, I know it's just like, uh, to get the action going, this whole scene seemed terrible. I was just like, everything about the scene is bad. The actors are bad. The dialogue is bad. I was like, why is the scene in this? I loved it was every, terrible. I loved every moment of this. So much tech garble <laughs> that makes no sense at all. <laughs> it was so bad. But did you like that? Um, the next scene. So basically, like you know that something bad's happened, and like the ship start this uh, secret uh, ship building plant starts exploding, and and we see this um, marauder ship fly away, and we're like oh no, it's got away and something's gone wrong. Yes, yes, it's great. Uh, it's rogue. We know it's gone rogue. That's good. But the next scene, we're going to go back to the exact same office we saw. I think it was the first episode, which is at like Pearl Harbor, which is people just like in the Navy, just like working at their office. Yeah, it's great. It's the UEO's Pearl Harbor base. They're listening to the radio. The radio's got a contest on, a mm-hmm. trivia contest going. And uh, they're like trying to guess the answer. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. And it was, what was the last year that the Rolling Stones put out a single? Yeah. yeah. When, what last year? It was last year they recorded their last single. Uh, Jordan? What was it? What was the last signal? What year was the last it Rolling Stones single? 2012, and the song was "Try to Find My Fire." Oh, very good. It was. I think it was actually yeah. 2011, Jordan. That was the, it was oh, was a trick it? question. Oh, that's right. I missed the. I would have. I would have uh, not done well in the radio. That's, college, a, that's right? what was so funny about this office scene is they're they're all sitting around. They're talking about this radio trivia ad that's going on. Just these like. Just it's like you're it's at your office, your yeah. corporate office, and they're like, it was 2012, and then someone's like, no, it's a trick question. It was 2011. It's when they recorded their last single, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Try to light my fire, and they're just it's like, this is so funny. This is such a mundane scene. Do you ever work in an office like that? Never one where we were that uh, had that much camaraderie. No, I worked in an office. It was sort of like that, but but the whole time I was just like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> now here's a real question for you, Joe Jordan. Yeah. What? What year was the last Rolling Stones single recorded? <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know because they've been putting out a lot of compilation albums. I don't know what their last single was. Let me let me look it up while we're I can tell it. you. I know right now. What was it? It was in 2020. Wow. That was when they put out their last single. It was a song called Living in a Ghost Town, a blues reggae mm. number about the COVID lockdowns. Ooh. Brand new song Ooh, by the Rolling Stones. I don't know Stones. if that sounds good. <laughs> I'm going to listen to it after this, and I'll, I'll let you know if it's good or not. You're going to be jamming that? You're going to have a great time this evening? Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the timestamp of COVID is just, I don't know. It's going to be a hard one <laughs> to get over. You don't think things hold up after that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, at any rate, all this like calm office uh, uh, back and forth ends when the uh, rogue sub, sub pops up. And it fires a a whole bunch of sea to ground missiles at uh, at Pearl Harbor. They're going to get Pearl Harbor again, Jordan. It's double Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Pearl Harbor can't catch a break every uh, hundred years. <laughs> it's true. These these hypersonic uh, missiles they fly in, but strangely they fly over the base and just hit Pearl Harbor's test firing range, resulting in minimal casualties. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. They hit. I think. I think there's a few people get hurt. I think maybe does one person die? Very maybe, few. Anyway. Maybe one. Some unlucky janitor. 
Yeah, it's it was one of the it was uh, it was old Crocker. He was like finally off Sequest, and he was like, ah, oh, it's finally to they moved him to the firing range. <laughs> Just walk around Pearl Harbor. That's right. <laughs> At any rate, the best part of this episode is they cut to UEA, UEO headquarters in New Cape Quest, Florida. I read a little bit of trivia about this, Jordan. The they show a lot of exteriors mm-hmm. of this city, this uh, New Cape Quest, Florida. That's right. Because it's going to be menaced by the ship throughout the episode, this rogue sub. And Mm -hmm. the wide shots of this new town, this new Cape Quest, Florida, the wide shots are all of Boston, Massachusetts. Massachusetts? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, They're all of Boston. Is it really? It's all Boston. And I decided Hmm. that in the world of Sequest, at some point, they moved Boston wholeheartedly to Florida (laughs) and then renamed it. So that's what's (laughs) happened in the world of Sequest. That's pretty good. That that'd be a funny if they just mentioned something like that. You're like, sorry, what was that? They moved Boston. Yeah, that's why it looks exactly like Boston in Florida, though. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe even more importantly, Jordan, working out of New Cape Quest is Admiral Noyce. I know Noyce is back. I was Noyce so happy is back, to see Noyce. and he's just like, me too. I was glad. I was like, ah, continuity. Noyce is back. And Noyce, he's got to call up Sequest because uh, someone's gonna have to destroy this rogue sub, and they're the only ones to do it. Yeah. Which I was, I was like, great. This is a, this is a, a pretty good setup for an episode. Um, other parts, I think they stumble a little bit, but I was like, this is great. There's a Marauder ship. It's uh, run by a computer. They're ne- this is like a good sci-fi. They're gonna have to know. Nathan's gonna have to use his brains to like have a conversation and find some sort of uh, connection and and talk it down. And it, it sort of does that. Sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's an exciting new ship. Their noise has given them all the information, like. It's, it's going to be hard to fight it. It's got a, a cloaking-like technology where it can blend into the ocean floor, and it's impervious mm-hmm. to lasers, and it's got twice the fire, firepower of Sequest, and also we equipped it with nukes. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wow, um, actually, Sequest doesn't seem like the perfect ship. It seems like it's vastly outgunned. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the perfect <laughs> ship because the rogue sub-Jordan, once every hour, it calls Bridger's name. Yeah, and... What what did you think of the resolution to that? Were you were you happy with like you're like because I was like that's weird, and it, it keeps saying Bridger Bridger Bridger. You 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 were when they when they reveal it, you're like ah that makes sense. That's good. I mean, I, I don't feel, know if it makes sense, but resolved. I'm fine with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was just like a nice it's a nice cliffhanger to go to commercials. Just like that's the fair. rogue ship is calling your name. I'm like whoa oh my god. Yeah yeah that's true. Um, but this does uh kind of um lead to one of, I think, the most interesting scenes of this episode, and maybe one of the more interesting scenes on Sequest as a whole, but essentially Bridger now has this information. There's this rogue AI sub out there. Something went wrong where the AI was being uploaded because the slam got poured onto the banks and it only got partly uploaded. So they know there's a problem with the AI on this ship that they sent out into the world. So what does Bridger do is he goes to visit Sequest's own holographic AI, the professor, to sort of talk about this Mm -hmm. issue. And we get a little backstory about the professor. I don't know if this is the first time we're hearing it on the show, but in this episode, they say, like, the professor is actually based on a professor that Bridger knew in real life, like a friend of his mm-hmm. who was the, was the basis of the personality scan that they used. And when Bridger walks in to talk to him, the AI announces just like, hey, Bridger, good to see you. You haven't visited me in a long time. And Bridger's just like, I didn't know you could notice time when you were off. And he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm based on a friend who you knew, and I have his memories. Like, I still remember what it was like to be alive, and I, like, 
don't know if it's loneliness I feel, but I feel a version of it. And this AI reveals that like AIs in this world are sentient and conscious and the people around them don't treat them that way. And like this this idea that's revealed here around the professor is amazing. I know. It's it's a wild a wild idea to just drop and then never really address again. Maybe they're going to later, but it was weird to be like he's like, "Yeah, like I have this sort of like ennui." And Bridger's like, "Anyways, there's a broader ship to deal with." And I'm like, "Whoa, okay, I guess we'll just put that aside for now." Well, it's an interesting tie-in because the idea is like this ship has an AI, it's sentient and it's running around and and now right. we're seeing these other AI on Sequest can like it is sort of giving some sort of it can sympathize or like has some understanding of it. Like he does give Bridger some good advice. The idea of being this like, yes, of course it's a self-aware AI, but it was programmed by people. So it has programming. It has a mission. You just have to understand what that mission is. If you're going to like deal mm. with it. And I thought for sure, cause you know, it's gonna be a whole episode that's going to happen here. Bridger's going to deal with this AI. There's going to be like, as you said, they're going to nego- He's going to negotiate with an AI. It's going to be that kind of episode. And I thought for sure the conclusion of this episode was going to be Bridger was going to learn about AI and intelligence and kind of like consciousness. And he's going to return to what is a holographic protection of an old friend of his professor who he ignores on this ship and just like doesn't go to unless he's consulted. Like I thought there was, Bridger was going to learn a lesson mm-hmm. about this AI on his ship. And they never return to that AI after like revealing the like torment it lives in. Well, it's an interesting point because... I feel like the first half of this episode, the setup is really good. And I, and it's sort of like, I think you're invested, you're interested. Um, it has, you're not sure where it's going to go. And the second half of this episode sort of, at least for me, falls a little flat. Because at a certain point, I'm like, you guys are just spinning your wheels. Like, we're going to get a bunch of scenes really later on, which we'll eventually talk about. At the very end, where Nathan gets on the Marauder ship. And him and himself are talking. And it it seems like... They just keep going over the same ground and same ground. And I was like, oh, this is where a show that had had a little bit more thought, a little bit more nuance, uh, a little bit more intelligent would intelligence would have done something quite interesting. We would have learned a little something about Nathan and learned a little something about us as humans, learned a little bit of something about uh, uh, the follies of, of technology or whatever it would have been. But instead, it's sort of just like, come on, you got to do the right thing. You should do the right thing do the right thing and it's like oh guys like there's so many different interesting ways you can resolve that's fine i actually don't have a problem with the like do the right thing thing if it tied back to nathan doing the right thing for the his ai on his own ship because the whole thing is like Hmm. nathan learns about doing the right thing except he returns to the place where he has his own enslaved ai and does nothing about it well because i think they uh, i don't think they realized when they had him say like i don't know about time or i'm i have these feelings i don't think they really care and i don't think they're ever gonna go back to that like i think it's just a throwaway line that they don't realize the implications of it well they wouldn't have written if they didn't under like they clearly understand that this is an interesting like philosophical idea they just don't know what to do with it apparently even though the entire episode is built around that one idea (laughs) maybe maybe I mean, I don't think it's ever going to come back, do you? No, I mean, if it was going to come back, it would have come back at the end of this episode with Nathan, like, having a conversation, like, you know, showing some empathy toward this computer system on his own ship, and which I thought exactly where it was going, but that just never happens. They never return to this AI who just told him, it's like, I've been lonely here where you've been locked me in this room. (laughs) Well, but all we know is that this uh, Deanna Troy character says that, she's like, Nathan, I sent you on the ship. And I was like, (laughs) what was that now? Well, that happens a little while later because basically 
he's like, all right, I got to figure out what this ship wants. That's, that's step number one of this plot. He's like, let's figure out what the programming of the ship is. What is it up mm-hmm. to? We know it's attacked Pearl Harbor. And then immediately after this, the Marauder attacks the Rodman Naval Base in Panama. And once again, the missiles fly over the base, hit a firing range, and there's minimal casualties. And with this second attack, this is when Bridger figures out what its programming is. Because as they yeah. do, similar to when it, it, the original commercial break where they're like, it's calling your name, hard get to commercial. It attacks Panama, hits the firing range, and Bridger's just like, I recognize this strategy because I planned it. Yeah, and you're like, what? And can we just say what it is right now? Does it? Does it? Does yeah, it yeah, yeah, we'll things? get into it now. It, Bridger programmed a war game. Yeah, so it's like it's it's and it's actually an interesting idea. And what what was uploaded to uh, this computer was a series of war games. And the malfunction that it's happening is it it thinks that's its last commands. And the commands are were never intended for for real life. It's it's a series of learning exercises and. I don't know why Nathan. I guess Nathan was a big a big shot at the military at some point, so that's why he would have planned this. But well, I'll explain that's it to why. You if you like, sure. Uh, Twelve years ago, UEO was doing war games just to practice. Nathan Bridger at that time was put in charge of the rival forces of the attack. So all these attacks that are happening are ones he did during the war game as captain. Um, and twelve years ago. He was a very different man. He was more ambitious. He wanted to be admiral. He really, like, was hardcore Navy. Like, he was a real Navy man back then. So he was very different than what he was today. Like, he would do anything to get ahead, essentially. So he, as a 12, he 12 years ago as captain was very different. And in addition to being very different 12 years ago, New Cape Quest was just a base. Uh, since then, their test firing range that Nathan would have initially fired on in the war games has been built up into a big city where like all of right. the like staff's family from uh, from the UEO live essentially. So mm-hmm. the idea being 12 years ago, Nathan was a different man. He attacked problems differently and the world has changed around him since then. Just not just himself, but also cities have been built where he would have attacked before. So this is the jeopardy right. now. Right. And, and this, this uh, uh, jives with what we saw at the very beginning of the show in the first episode where he had, essentially turned his back on the military and the Navy on everything after his wife's son had died. And so what we are seeing is the new version of him. The one that has come back is a, is a man with uh, greater compassion, greater understanding, greater for uh, uh, vision as to what his life should be. And that's the, the great crux of what is going to, he's going to be uh, facing off against. Exactly, exactly. And, and part of the reason this has happened is 12 years ago, the UEO also had a program where they were scanning the brains, their, like, the personalities of their captains into the computer. It's very complicated. So they're doing that 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then there was an intern at the time who worked there, who they're able to figure out, like <laughs> took a computer disk with Nathan's personality scan and 12 years later he ended up working at sea science as a programmer and he still had that disc and he was that he was uploading it to the banks when the slam got spilled it's a very complicated i, I love i love how fast that'll happen he's like and remember you scanned my brains and was there not someone who worked there like an intern intern took a disc i was like okay sure yeah, <laughs> where yeah, are we gotta get and it's why Just a huge info dump and this happens like midway through the episode where they realize it's it's his personality on the ship like as you said mm-hmm. because very fun. Like the doctor who we've seen nothing about. She just walks. She walks to the room. She's like, I'm having a psychic vision. I'm just like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know. It's like, I was like, oh, I didn't realize she had powers. And it's, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's the only scene she has. Yeah. So she walks in and is like, she's like, I sense uh, you're on that ship. Anyways, back to my garden or whatever. And you're like, what? What was that? Yeah, it was very funny because I was like learning all these new characters existed. You know, I know they're not going to have time for all of them in every episode because there's so many of them. But for her just to walk in and be like, I'm psychic, by the way. I'm just like, I'm learning a lot this episode. <laughs> And then that robot came in and said, I don't understand things. And then the other guy was like, a pizza pie. And I was like, oh, okay, what a cast of characters. Well, speaking of Tony Piccolo, he's got family in, Ugh, new, the in worst. New, new Cape Quest City, whatever it's called. And he's really worried. We get a lot of cutaways. He's, he's had a lot of conversations with his aunt. He apparently raised him and, I guess, kept him out of prison. Like, they owe a bail bondsman for him. And then he, like, apparently jumped yeah. ship on a bail bondsman to join Sequest. I don't know. There's a lot of backstory there that we don't know. It's fine. It's it's very interestingly strange that he's from just like stereotypical Italian-American world. Mm-hmm. And he's upset that uh, he can't warn his family back in Florida that they're about to be nuked off the planet by this rogue sub. Because Bridger, as soon as they find out it's in jeopardy, they they shut down all the comms on Sequest because there's not enough time to evacuate New Cape Quest. So there's no reason to cause a panic. And Piccolo decides he's going to break into the, quote, internex. <laughs> And he's going to try to send a message to his family. But, of course, he's too dumb to use the internex. So when Lucas catches him, he begs Lucas to unlock the computer so he can warn his family. And there's a bit of a back and forth. There's clearly a relationship between yeah. him and Lucas. Maybe they're roommates. It's, I feel so bad for this character. He's just, like, begging Lucas to unlock the computer for him because he's too dumb to use a computer. Like, he just keeps saying, I'm too dumb to use a computer. Will you please unlock yeah. it for me? Yeah, and finally he's like, cause and the and, and Lucas like I can't. I told told Bridger I wouldn't, and then eventually he's like, it's Narnia, and they put in the password, and he's able to see, um, the 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 sort of panic that is. That well, is what's happened. happened is, yeah, he's just like, can I send a message? I like this part too. He's just like, what's the password? And Lucas says it's Narnia, and when he said that, I'm like, I, I the little I know about Tony Piccolo, he doesn't know how to spell Narnia, my man. You're gonna have to type that in for him, and Lucas does. He's down and types it in for him. Yeah, yeah, but. When they yeah. try to send the message, they realize the internex is down. The internex, for some reason, has gone down. And they're like, well, let's watch the news instead. And the news is that, like, you know, the information leaked immediately. Like like that episode of Forever Night, you can't keep the end of the world quiet for long. So New Cape Quest is already in total chaos, so it's fine. Uh, Piccolo didn't spoil the news. They didn't get the message out. Everybody already knows they're going to die. Yeah, that's right. And it's at this point that Sequest finally tracks down this missing marauder. And, uh, you know, they're in this... There's quite a few scenes where they fight the marauder or attempt to fight the marauder and are unable to, like, land shots on it. And as they discover, it's partly because uh, Nathan's AI is on there. And they're, you know, so you have a scene where they can't fight it. And then they're like, oh, it's because Nathan's commanding it. So let's put Commander Ford in charge because he'll be able to, like... You know, the AI can always guess what Bridger's going to do. So maybe if... Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it's a lot of classic churning of plot, right? It's like, you yeah. can't fight yourself because you know yourself too well. Let's put my second in command in charge, and he'll fight the ship instead. That doesn't last long because the Marauder still tricks them by, like, getting a, I believe they call it a, I've written it down here. What do they call it? A uh, nuclear captor mine gets stuck to the bottom of the sequence. Mm -hmm. they're, they're attempting a ambush on the Marauder, but the Marauder, like, double ambushes them and gets a nuke stuck to the bottom of it which is very funny to me because they're like the whole thing is just like captain you can't be in charge because you can't fight yourself so commander ford will take over 
let's try this ambush because we think we know how to outsmart you. And then they are outsmarted still by the AI. And then when they're outsmarted, they just cut to Captain Bridger. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. This is the exact same trap I pulled in the Aegean campaigns. Forgot I did that one. And it's just like, it's just so much back and forth where it's just like, what is happening here? But good for them. The ship is, uh, the Marauder ship's just like, hey, I want to talk. And I want to talk to Nathan. Yeah, essentially, now that Sequest has been essentially disarmed because it can't move without blowing up this nuke on its belly, he's just like, send the AS, send Bridger over. I want to talk to him. And we can maybe negotiate our way out of this. And, and Bridger hops on one of those cool, the first time we've seen those subs, but apparently they were around before, but they're like, a, they look like mm-hmm. a shark or something more than they look like a sub. They look very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and this is the point where I personally was like, this episode is getting dumb and they don't know what to do with it. Because this is the beginning of the like 45 cutaways from Nathan talking to himself on a computer screen as the computer screen looks just like him with glitching. Also, I'm just going to say they missed a turn by not having um, uh, him without a beard. He should have been talking to a version of himself without the beard. Am I right? He wasn't going to shave that beard and regrow it, Jordan. That's insane. <laughs> I know. I know. But it would have been better. But yes, that's right. The AI receives nathan on this bridge and nathan starts trying to negotiate with him but the a- the bridge the ai the ship is not interested in negotiating it's just like hey listen i actually only brought you over here because i didn't want to kill myself like i didn't want to kill a version of myself on that ship i'm still blowing up sequest and we're going to go off and blow up uh, florida so don't worry about it yeah and we essentially now split into two problems is sequest has a nuke on its belly and Nathan has to deal with his AI self. So let's deal with Sequest's problem first. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I tell you, it's not much of a problem if you got a guy with gills. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, well, that's it. They're just like, send the man with gills out. Let's get Nathan and Tony Piccolo <laughs> yeah. out there. Let's get him swimming down there. They swim down. The nuke yeah. just has like a pin number on it. They're just like, we need to figure out what pin number AI Bridger used. So what pin number does Bridger use for all his like ATMs, I guess? Yeah. And this is the first point that uh darwin the dolphin appears and i honestly at this point thought darwin the dolphin had been written off the show until this moment <laughs> well, no it's a, they've spent the money on darwin you know he's expensive but he shows up and i just love that <laughs> what we learned is he knows the password to uh nathan's uh black box is safe because he's always looking at him when he's like in his safe and i was like wait does darwin have like a tube that goes into his room he Absolutely. can see him in his room there's a tube in his room? Why would Bridger loves that dolphin? He obviously has a tube in that room. But if he designed the ship, he didn't know he was going to be the captain. So any captain of the Sequest has that <laughs> Darwin come peek at them? Darwin has total access. He has total access. You're right. Sorry. I take back everything I said. He has total access. <laughs> but yeah, Darwin knows the password. And like I said, I, I had wondered about darwin because he does not appear for the rest of the episode does not appear after this he only comes in here to give the passcode and i thought there was a reasonable chance he was written off because you've now got a man with gills who basically does darwin's job which is swim outside of the ship and do things so darwin is like has no purpose now because you now have a human being who can do it and has fingers so already more useful yeah exactly <laughs> it, it's funny um they should have just had like a thing where like they've adjusted it and Darwin can become a human sometimes. And then he just becomes a dolphin when needed. That's better. You want him to be like an anamorph of some sort. Yes, exactly. Well, Jordan, I have to take back what I just said because I was just like, 
they've made Darwin pointless because now that you have a human who can do these things, you've got someone who's far more capable than a dolphin. Oh, but it's Tony. And then Tony Piccolo goes out there and they give him the password and he's just like, oh, FYI, I'm dyslexic. And he punches the password in wrong. And I was just like, okay, so this man's no more useful than a dolphin. <laughs> yeah. And but I don't, I don't understand. Why do they make the character so dumb? It, like, who's relating to this? It's It was an odd choice. I mean... It's interesting to give him a learning disability. Like, I, like it's kind of an interesting idea, but, like, it only <laughs> comes up in this moment where it's just like, I'm like, how often is this going to come up? Because he punches the passcode in. He punches it wrong because he reveals he's dyslexic. And then they catch him before he hits the enter button and have him re-enter it correctly. But I was just like, what are these stakes being raised that just, like, he's the only one who can do this. But the only thing between him and success is that, like, he can't punch in numbers. I'm like, I like, I just had so many questions. Like, there's just so many questions about this character. Like, what to what end? Yeah, yeah. It's it's well. The other thing is, it's not good. It's it's not a good. It's also like it's I, this didn't work. Like, they, you could have taken this whole little plot about the nuclear uh, bomb on the ship away. Like, I understand why it's there and it's supposed to raise the stakes, but because these characters and maybe it's just because i don't know them now they're just they're so bland and dumb i'm just like i don't care just get rid of the nuclear thing it's fine i think they're better than the last set of characters i'll give them that do you think so they're not generic at least like he's a that's true dumb italian-american stereotype you don't forget tony piccolo my friend (laughs) (laughs) it's true i will give you that they're 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 not forgettable there's a man whose skin is marbled cheese you're not gonna forget that man. <laughs> yes, but 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 not being forgettable and being good are not the same thing, you know. Yeah, but I mean, the other characters were forgettable. Like, what did you know about Krieg, the supply and morale officer? I, like nothing. He liked pornography. <laughs> he loved it. Had an ex-wife. Like you know. That's right. That's right. I don't know. It's it's. I'm not saying they're better characters necessarily, but I will say at least they stand out more than the other ones do. All right, that's fair. What did you know about Lieutenant Hitchcock, Jordan? Beautiful eyes. Exactly. That's all you know. <laughs> anyway, this solves the problem with the nuke on Sequest. Sequest is saved. Uh, that plot line is done. And we cut back to Bridger. He's still on the ship with his AI self, trying to reason with him but to no avail. But he starts getting somewhere when he reveals to the AI that their son died. Because it turns out the moment uh, Bridger's intelligence or his personality was scanned 12 years ago was like a week after Bridger had talked his son into not quitting the Navy, a decision he made that would eventually lead to his son dying in a war. So he tries to use this new information to convince the AI that he's changed, that like his war hawkishness 12 years ago has changed because he inadvertently got his son killed in a war because he believes so much in the Navy and believes so much in following orders. And Bridger's trying to use this as a way to negotiate down this AI. Um, but the AI still isn't quite like, he's not buying into it. He's only partly got the the intelligence of, because, you know, he didn't get the full download of, of Nathan. Like, it's still not quite working as the idea. So when they get to uh, New Cape Hope, the Bridger AI still launches the missiles and... Um, as soon as he launches the missiles, the AI starts like talking about it just like how he feels, what's the term, like incomplete or empty or something. Like his programming's mm-hmm. winding down. There's nothing, there's no future for him now. He's, he's completed his mission essentially. And Bridger's just like, let me give you the rest of my intelligence. Let me finish the upload and maybe that'll like give you more meaning in your life. Like that's sort of the idea here is like 
Bridger needs mm-hmm. to give the AI more in the hopes that the AI will, with the full intelligence, because you know, slam in the banks didn't get the full intel, didn't get the first personality. So maybe yeah. if he gives him that, that'll like fix the problem. Which leads to a very funny scene because uh, the AI won't won't let Bridger do it. So Bridger's just like, "Well, I'll do it myself." And he starts talking to like a separate computer programmer. He's just like, he's just like, "Unlock the unlock the banks. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do an upload." And the computer program's like, "I'm sorry, you do not have access to that. Voice commands not accepted." And Bridger's solution is just like, "I don't care." He just yells, "I don't care" at the computer, and it's like, "Okay," and then like. I don't know how he uploads the rest of his personality. Like it's just like instantaneously, he's just like personality uploaded. I'm just like I don't know how you overcame the command functions that they said you couldn't. All he said was just like it's just like you can't do that. And Bridger's like I don't care. And it's like okay then I guess you can. Like I, there's no like explanation for how he did. It. Strong will, my friend. He doesn't take no for an answer. But with the rest of his personality uploaded to the AI. I guess the the AI bridger becomes more rational. It destroys the missiles before they hit the city, and then uh, turns to Bridger and is just like, "Thank you, my friend." Uh, but I now realize I was created to destroy, so I'm going to commit suicide. Please get off the ship. Yeah, and it made me laugh and laugh because my note was, "Haha, robot Nathan is sad." <laughs> uh, bridger gets off the ship. The Marauder implodes. The uh, the rogue AI is defeated, and uh, Bridger. Bridger gets back to the ship and calls up Admiral Noyce, and he's just like, good job, Nathan, what can I do for you? And he's just like, Noyce, let's have some shore leave. We need to party. Yeah. End of episode. Yeah, I, that was one of my favorite things of the episode. He's like, hey, the military's like, our bad. We know we created a secret ship that we put nuclear weapons on, and it almost uh, shot those nuclear weapons into uh, civilians, destroying uh, things for generations. And he's like, are bad what can we do to make it up and nathan's like sure leave and they're like done i was like man <laughs> you could have held out for a little bit more <laughs> i know it's very funny nathan's just like i want you never to do that again and he's just like noise is just like eh, don't worry about it the press is already tearing us to shreds in the national media i wouldn't worry about it <laughs> but you missed one the final scenes actually tony calling his family he's like mama mia uh, did you get to me the pasta and then they're like yes tony we did and he's like oh yeah oh and then that goes on for a minute and i was like he's the worst character in the history of television <laughs> that is true they keep doing cutaways it's very it's very um what's that show space above beyond in that the staff of sequest can call their families on like video screens but That's it's in right, a common yeah. area where they all have to stand in line to wait to send messages but you also have to watch everyone's call and then everyone in line is always mad at tony piccolo for calling his family and talking about yeah pizza or whatever <laughs> but tony piccolo every time is just like but I, like i still have like five minutes on my call like this is my uh, my relegated call time and everyone in line is just like no you don't get the deserving time tony get out of here we don't want you to talk to your family like it's just so weird like everyone's always mad at tony for just using his personal phone call time and then the robot comes out he's like i poop my pants (laughs) you're like who are these characters yeah dagwood's such a great name for that weird character i'm just like his name is dagwood He's so dumb. I'm hoping. I'm hoping we're gonna get a Dag, Dagwood centered episode uh, going forward. Do you think he's named? Do you think in the po- episode where he's introduced, they reveal yes. he's named after yes. the old comic strip? I do. Or the I sandwich? Do. Or is he named Dagwood after the sandwich? Bum- it's is it is Dagwood Bumstead? Isn't it? Isn't that's, that the right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
such an odd character. Yeah, there's very little for him to do that episode, but he just keeps wandering into scenes and being like confused. So it's always so odd. It's always so odd. It's like a it's a weird like of mice and men. Like I think he's gonna like accidentally kill a kitten or something. Now you think this episode's over, Jordan, but there's one last piece of recasting they did. <laughs> His technical advisor, Bob Ballard, has been removed from the end credits, but they have not removed the educational section. And in it, Michael Deloise, who plays Tony Piccolo, appears, tells you about sea turtles, and then like holds up a sea turtle to the camera and says, Is it like and waves itself as like, isn't this cute? And I was just like, yeah. Oh, so we still get an educational thing but completely unrelated to the episode we just watched. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just like, we're going to retool the show. And then the producer's like, you're not getting rid of the educational part. And they're like, no, 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 no. We'll have one of the actors do it. He'll talk about sea turtles. It really feels like a throwback to a time when a certain window of television was required to be educational. So like a show would just like have like a tiny educational moment in it to like check that box. But I just don't th- I don't think mid 90s required that so that but the show's committed to educating you every episode. Yeah. I think it probably you're, you're probably right. It has to do with I think most likely the time slot it was in. I think it's like there's a there's a little uh we have to hit something and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we'll just uh we'll have them talk about sea turtles." There's no way that was the case though in 1993, 1994. There's just no way. <laughs> You're probably right. I mean, I only remember for on G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe used to tell you about, like, you know, turn the oven off at the end of the episode. Yeah, I don't think in prime time in 93 you had to have an edge. I think this is a choice they made. They're like, we're also going to be educational. I mean, it explains the entire episode about fucking freshwater sinkholes and how much I had to learn about freshwater sinkholes. Don't don't you remember that episode of the X-Files, though, where Mulder and Scully told us about uh, the dangers of choking? Oh, that's right. They taught us the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> they're like everything's a choking hazard anyways see you later. see you next week all right well that that's end of season one beginning of season two a- any mm-hmm. things we missed anything you want to you want to talk about before we get the ratings no i i'm more interested in in uh i don't know where how you're gonna rate these things uh, I'm, I'm very curious well let's let's get into it so there's with such or with such great just such great patience that's the name of the episode yeah such great patience. sequest finds aliens mm-hmm. how do you feel about it you know, I thought it was not a bad episode. I think, I don't know if it's their best or worst. I, I'm, I'm going pretty good. I'm giving it a six and a half. I thought it was mostly a pretty good episode. I like the look of the alien. I like the look of the alien ship. Most of it I thought was pretty good. I think there's a couple beats they missed. But I thought for the most part, I was like, this is okay. This is an okay, like, hour television. I agree. I think of the episodes I've watched previously, I felt like at least this was, if not a cohesive episode, at least it was an episode with turns and like it was very science fictiony mm-hmm. and people were throwing jargon around. I know you don't like the procedural element. That stuff doesn't bother me though. So that's not a, that's not a hindrance. I think there's an argument to be made about do aliens belong on Sequest? Does that change the course of the show? A- a- academically, there's an argument. I'm not going to have that argument. I was happy to have an interesting episode full of aliens. Great, fun time. I'm going to go seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah, I think we're probably we're pretty close on this, and I and I agree. And you know what? They they um they sort of try to have it both ways, which is they introduce aliens, but then they get rid of them in the way of like we'll bring this back if you guys like it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the sincerest form of flattery. I I didn't like this episode as well. I the first half I did, and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun, and I like the idea. I just thought the resolution didn't really do it for me. But I still think it was better than I thought it was going to be based on everything I'd written because people seem to hate the second season. And, But, look, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. I would have given it a 7 out of 10. But Tony Piccolo 
is going to lose a point every episode. I need to see him. I hate him. I don't hate Tony. He's so funny. He's terrible. He's a terrible character. I love, Ayo, away, honestly, hey. the new characters they've added because they don't make any sense, but at least they're like <laughs> wild, wildly insane. And I, I think, you know, it's not a great show. Like, I think when yeah. we started, the first pilot was a weird, like, action movie with something else like like it didn't work it just was mm-hmm. like felt like too mercenary the episodes going after that like obviously a weird ghost one and a sinkhole one I, they felt too i don't know they, they both felt like not quite right to me they just didn't know what it was i think now sequest i think wanted to be a smarter more like interesting show about like science and that stuff i, I think it works better as a just a dumb action show i like I rogue yeah, I, AI I sub. Great. That's a perfect sequest episode. Dumb adventures. You argue with yourself. Seven. I think it's a seven. I think I'm what I'm seeing now is I'm like, this is the best a sequest can offer me and I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have had a seven too, um, but Tony Piccolo, sorry. I, he's going to lose a point every time. Every time he comes in and he does his Sopranos impersonation, he's losing a point. I think the show started and it wanted to be Star Trek, I think. And what it's kind of become, like, you know, I think you can see some Star Trek in the Alien episode. It doesn't quite work, mm. but at least it's a fun, exciting episode. And then in season two, they clearly retooled a bit. And it's maybe more of an action-y kind of adventure show. I think it's a good move. I don't think it could have ever been Star Trek. I just don't think it had the the bearings, yeah. the footing to do it. You're it, it, still overcast. There's still too many people. But at least when it's just like a quick adventure with some weird turns, yeah. it's a show. You're right. What what the show is it really should just be is fun. It should just be a fun, entertaining episode. And it, it's not that it has to be dumb, but you can you can just like you can take interesting uh, ideas and do it in a, in a fun way. And and I would agree that I'm hoping that's the direction the show goes in of just like let's just have fun. We're underwater in a in a in a ship and we're encountering weird things great that's fun yeah I think, um, don't get too bogged down with things yeah i think and maybe this is just my personal opinion it's just like you're under the sea it's just too silly for me to take you seriously like it's just too silly a concept of just like we're a fancy submarine on adventures like it's too, so I, the shows just need to be sillier i think like i'm not saying the alien episode was necessarily silly but at least it was so elevated and so like mm-hmm. over the top that it, it was fine it was fun that way i don't know that's just how i'm feeling about it yeah well we'll see we have a few more episodes in season two and then we're going to season three so we'll see what the the tone is or what the uh uh the style of the show is going to be is it going to continue to change is it going to be more focused on characters or is it just more like weird things are we going to see gilboy i don't know we're definitely gonna see more gilboy my friend (laughs) he has to keep swimming underwater they need an excuse for those gills no i think what we're gonna see jordan is how much the network panics over the ratings and how much that makes like radical changes happen yeah they're like, they're like, Roy Scheider, you need to take your shirt off. He's like, oh, if I have to. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be great. Well, <laughs> listener, we're obviously in the second season now of Sequest. We're doing the best of. We're only watching top three episodes, so we're missing a lot of Sequest episodes. And there's a very good chance we're missing some gems. So if there's something that we've swam past, we swam past it on our Sequest journey, that you want us to go back and watch, there's an opportunity. If you want us to watch something and talk about it for some reason, if that's if that's what you're into, we can do that with bonus episodes for charity. Go to our website, continuedrag.podbean.com, or on social media, there's links in the bios of all of those. You can uh, find out about this initiative. You just do a donation to charity, 
and we'll go back. You can pick an episode. We'll go back and watch an episode we've missed and uh, do, do a little bonus episode for you around it. Uh, you can learn all about that on the website um, or you can email us continuedrag at gmail.com and I can give you more details. There's a, you know, there's a few steps giving us receipts, doing the donation. Uh, the charities we've selected are on the website from past listeners. Blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of details. You can figure it all out or, or email me and I'll explain it to you. Um, and of course, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're going to have clips from Sequest this week. Um, great clips, aliens, rogue subs, lots of good stuff this week. Tony uh, calling his family repeatedly. No, I'm just sending those directly to you. I'm just sending all those clips just right to you for a watch. <laughs> I'll just remember. I'll delete, delete. <laughs> and you can find that at the handle at Continuum Drag. But that wraps it up for this episode. So, uh, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes.